So the question I have is what in the world is God doing? Or another way to ask it is what is God doing in the world? He's got a plan. He's not making it up as he goes. This plan isn't being thwarted in spite of all the evil and, and chaos, political, morally, otherwise going on in the world. He's working it out. And where we uh, have been the past couple of weeks in going through the book of Romans is in Romans chapter 9. And God begins talking about in Romans 9 all the way through chapter 11 is what he's doing in the world. So we'll take a look at that this morning. What we saw at the beginning of chapter 9 was Paul's intense grief, the Apostle Paul, over the fact that many of his fellow Israelites had not believed in Jesus as Messiah. God's word didn't promise the salvation of every single Israelite, so it's not that his word failed. Uh, physical descent from Abraham didn't guarantee salvation. God chooses who will receive his promised blessings. And Paul explains that the only reason God saves anyone is because of his free and sovereign mercy. That's what we saw last time in Romans chapter 9. His free and sovereign mercy. He quotes what God said to Moses. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. No one deserves God's mercy, and that's um, the truth that we have to embrace. Paul sums up God's sovereign purpose in showing mercy in in verses 22 and 23 of chapter 9, which we looked at last time. We're going to read that, and we're going to read the next several verses, 24 to 29 of Romans chapter 9, and see what it is that God's doing in the world. So would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Romans 9, 22 to 29. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? In order to make known the riches of his of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory even us whom he has called not from the Jews only but also from the Gentiles as indeed he says in Hosea those who were not my people I will call my people and her who was not beloved I will call beloved and in the very place where it was said to me to them you are not my people there they will be called sons of the living God And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Father, we've sung about how much we need the work of your Holy Spirit. And we plead and invite and and ask that you would grant your spirit to me in teaching your word and to us in hearing and receiving your word this morning. And may it magnify and glorify your mercy through Christ, we ask in his name. Amen. May be seated. So, verse 24, this is what God is doing in the world. He is calling vessels of mercy, as he describes those upon whom he has mercy. He is calling vessels of mercy to himself. Uh, Not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. 
what we saw Paul's meaning of the word call is when he says God calling people, it's God's gracious and effective inward working in which he overcomes our resistance to the gospel and draws us to faith in Jesus. It's it's God's gracious and effective inward working in which he overcomes our resistance to the gospel and draws us to faith in Christ Jesus through through the gospel. As he said in in Romans chapter 8, verse 30, um, those whom he, God predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified. So God calls us and ensures that we'll be right with him through his calling. It ultimately is not us, it's, it's his work in us. At the same time, Paul has also made it clear that people are responsible to believe. No one will rightly be able to, to blame God for not calling them if they re- reject the outward call to come to Christ through the gospel. Paul said he had great sorrow for, for his fellow Israelites who were not trusting in Christ. And um, yet God had effectively called some Israelites to salvation by faith in his son through the gospel. And you say, well, couldn't they, because they're God's chosen people, couldn't they just be saved by, by just being a descendant of Abraham? And Paul says, no, uh, just being a descendant of Abraham doesn't save you. Physical descendant of Abraham doesn't do that. Um, There are not multiple ways of salvation, one for Jews and one or more for Gentiles, the non-Jews. So in Romans 1.16, for example, I think I have that up on the screen. Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the Gentile. So Paul says the gospel is for everyone who believes, it's it's to the Jews, it's to the Gentiles, it's everybody who would be saved comes through the power of the gospel. And then he also says in Romans 3, 23 to 25, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're all in the same sin boat, Jew and Gentile have all sinned and fall short of God's glory. And are justified by his grace as a gift. You're made right with God by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that's an atoning sacrifice, by his blood to be received by faith. So all have sinned, and the only way to be saved is through Christ's redeeming sacrifice and uh, by faith. So that's the same way for Jews. It's the same way for Gentiles. And back to to verse 24 of Romans 9. Um, Paul said that God called vessels of mercy not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. The word Gentiles is the word ethnos. We get ethnic from that, ethnic groups, nations. In the Old Testament, God had revealed clues and pointers that he was going to do good things for the nations. He was going to bless the nations through the people of Israel. So, for example, he said to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. In Genesis 22:18, but so central to the Old Testament was that Israel was God's people; that they were His chosen people; that they just had no idea that the Gentiles, us pagans, could become His people as well. It just didn't figure into their their worldview. It's stunning, therefore, from the perspective of of the Jews, that God would actually call Gentiles to be His people. And so, what He says in verse 25 is is amazing. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people I will call my people, and her who was not beloved I will call beloved. 
This is a quote from Hosea 2.23. So uh, you all know Hosea because you, if you were at ETV, you, you did some work in Hosea, so you know the story there. And God's um, bringing judgment upon his people for their rebellion. And, and so he makes this word of judgment and word of promise to the, the northern tribes of Israel who were under rebellion. God had rejected them and named them no mercy and not my people. So you know it's not going to be a good day when God names you no mercy and not my people. They, they would be exiled in Assyria, but in Hosea, God promises to again call Israel his people and to set his merciful love on them again. In Romans 9.25, Paul applies this promise to the Gentiles. This doesn't mean the promise no longer applies to ethnic Israel, but because in receiving Christ, Gentiles become spiritual children of Abraham, as he teaches in, in Romans chapter 4, this promise applies to the Gentiles as well. Those who are not his people, the nations, he would call his people. So we get to participate in that promise. Peter quoted this. I think I have that up on the screen. In 1 Peter 2.10, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If you're a believer in Jesus today, you have received mercy from God. God has called you as a part of his, of his people. You, you're not on your own. You're not part of a religious club. You are one of God's people, and you've joined. Uh, the, the word church, the word that we translate church in the Bible, literally means called out ones. So you are God's called out ones. He's called you out. He's called you to himself. He's set his love upon you. He really loves you. We acknowledge that in singing, and we need to really embrace that God really loves us. He called us to himself by his mercy. And he, he implanted us and, and named us to be his people, uh, created us to be his people. In verse 26, he's still quoting from Hosea, chapter 1, verse 10. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there, there they will be called sons of the living God. So again, it's a word of judgment and a word of promise. Um, God said to Israel, you are not my people but I will again call you my sons. But because believers in Jesus from the Gentile nations have become children of Abraham, these words have a fulfillment in Gentiles being saved through Christ and being gathered into his church. Since Christ came, God in his saving mercy has been calling Gentiles from among the nations as sons of the living God. God has always granted his mercy in surprising ways. Surprising ways. It's amazing who God calls to saving faith, and it's amazing how he calls us to saving faith. It, is, it was surprising that the Roman Empire, whose government executed Jesus, became the center of Christianity back in the early centuries after, after Christ uh, died and resurrected. When the barbarian tribes invaded most of Central and Western Europe, it was surprising that they embraced the Christian faith. So you had Rome being the center of Christianity, then the barbarians invade Rome, and then they become Christians. And then, um, then the Vikings, before they relocated to Minnesota. <laughs> yes, they became Christians as well. They invaded Central and Western Europe, and they, they took on the Christian faith as well. 
and then Germany and France and Britain, and then the United States and Canada became major forces for the spread of the Christian faith. Now the largest Christian presence in the, is in the global south and east, and China is becoming, it's not quite there yet, but it's becoming the most populous Christian nation, the nation with the most, the highest number of Christians. The global south and east are now sending missionaries. And now what remains, the least reached peoples are in the region comprising North Africa, the Middle East, and parts of Asia. We call that the 1040 window, 10 degrees north latitude, 40 degrees north latitude from North Africa to Asia. The 10 countries where Christianity is growing the fastest, are you ready? The fastest growing Christian population is in Nepal. Nepal, followed by China, and then the United Arab Emirates, third fastest growing Christian population is in the UAE. Uh, Saudi Arabia is fourth, Qatar, Oman, Yemen, Mongolia, Cambodia, and Bahrain. Six of these countries are, are in the Middle East and fastest growing Christian populations. Who are the people in your circles that have surprised you by coming to faith in Jesus besides yourself? Who, who would shock you by coming to faith in Jesus? What if Richard Dawkins, the atheist author of The God Delusion, became a follower of Jesus? What if many um, ISIS members became followers of Jesus? The Islamic State terrorist nation. It would be surprising but not unheard of, because God has said in his word, in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Amazingly, many Muslims are becoming followers of Jesus. They are having dreams and visions about Jesus, or in which God is telling them to listen to some people who are going to tell them about Jesus. And this is being testified to workers all over the world are, are hearing these reports and have for a couple decades. Um, some are realizing the Quran actually has a higher view of Jesus than it does of Muhammad. Seriously. It, it has higher things to say about Jesus than it does about Muhammad. So believers who have come to Christ of Muslim background are using the Quran to create bridges to the Bible or to introduce conversations about Jesus. Believers of Muslim background consistently share also that what led them to faith in Christ is the life witness of Christ's followers. So that's not surprising. That's how it works in your, in your own lives as well. Um, if you're in it for the long haul with your neighbors and friends and fellow students and co-workers, uh, you're putting the gospel on display for them. Uh, one young man named Ahmed, who had memorized the Quran, and if you memorize the Quran, you're called a Hafez. Hafez. Any Hafezes in the crowd? No Quran memorizers. And he had been trained to kill as a member of the Taliban, was living among a tribe somewhere in, in pa Pakistan, Afghanistan region. A great flood swept through their village. Another tribe came to their area to help, and he became suspicious. Of, Why is this tribe helping us out? So he told them to leave. Ahmed and his gang burned some of the other tribe's tents and beat those who were fleeing from their tents. 
After they put out the fire, the tribe sat down with some of the villagers, reading to them from a book and praying with them. Ahmed expected them to retaliate. He threatened to kill them, but they persisted in helping his tribe. Ahmed said to them, I expected your tribe to come and kill me, but it is not. They just told him stories about the prophets and then about Jesus. For months and months, he continued to listen to them. He said, I, I beat you and, and shot at you. What is my punishment? They answered, God forgives you. He said, how, how does that work? They, they told him about Jesus and, and led him to Jesus. And he turned to his Taliban gang and said, if I accept this new way, will you follow me? They all said yes. They were all baptized in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There they will be called sons of the living God. Mahad is a 58-year-old Arab businessman in the Middle East who has followed Jesus for three years. He has led members of 70 households to Christ. Many of these have led their families to Christ. Mahad leads this network of believers in Bible study and worship. Or then there's the story of Nasser. Nasser was a respected Hafez, so memorized the Quran in the, in the Muslim community in the Middle East. Through the influence of a man who, with an internet and satellite TV ministry, he came to Christ. In 11 months, 2,845 Muslims were baptized through groups Nasser organized, came to Jesus. It's awesome. God is calling thousands of Muslims to become followers of Jesus in our day, though there are still many millions who need to hear the gospel in extremely hard-to-reach places. So it's the, begin it's the first time in 14 centuries of Islam that there's been this kind of movement to Christ among the Muslim peoples. First time in 14 centuries. So we were pretty slow to, to be effective with them. Most of what we hear about the Middle East is terrible news, and it is bad. Uh, but the turmoil and warfare there are creating desperation that has led to an openness to the gospel for many people. One missions group hears, um, has heard reports from several Syrians who have said, if you know about the war in Syria, it is horrible. What's going on there is, is, is just ugly beyond belief. But some of the Syrians themselves are saying, Satan has caused this war in Syria, but God has used it to lead us to Jesus, which would have never happened otherwise. Of course, this doesn't mean the war in Syria is good, but it does mean that God in his sovereign mercy and power is at work in the world in all of its evil and chaos, calling people to saving faith in his son. The Jews may have expected that some Gentiles might be saved, and, and many, if not all Jews, would be saved, but the initial response to the gospel has been just the opposite. That is what Paul talks about in verses 27 to 29. So in verse 27, Paul quotes from Isaiah 10, and Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. In Isaiah's day, God had fulfilled his promise to multiply Israel's offspring like the sand of the sea. But due to Israel's idolatry and sin of that time, 
God would judge them through the attacks by the Assyrians and, and would save only a remnant. Paul sees that same pattern happening in the time in which he was writing after Jesus rose from the dead. And out of the many thousands of Israelites living, only a remnant were being saved. Only a remnant were vessels of mercy. There is a pattern in biblical history and church history that God's people, having received much spiritual privilege, can become presumptuous, proud, and just maintaining the status quo. Maintaining the outward form of, of religious practice without a heart for God and His ways and His mission. God then removes his blessings so that only a remnant of followers of, tr of the true faith remain. Vibrant Christianity disappears and God raises up a new gospel movement elsewhere. God isn't obligated to keep, uh, to keep his blessing for a people merely because they have true expression of faith in their history. How many churches are dead today where vibrant worship and witness once was practiced? How many, how many have just religious activity but are no longer faithful to the gospel and the word of God? How many educational institutions that were founded on Christian truth are, are now hostile to it? On Harvard's seal, so Harvard University, on their seal is the word veritas. And if you're smart, you know you're Latin. So who knows what veritas means? Truth. Got it. But the original seal had more words than that. It had um, three other Latin words that, trans when translated, said truth for Christ and the church. Harvard doesn't quite stand for that today. They stand for anything but that. May the loss of vibrant Christian commitment not be lost to harvest. May we not presume upon God's mercy. In verse 28, Paul said, For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. He's still quoting from Isaiah chapter 10. Isaiah was saying that the Lord would carry out his word thoroughly and decisively. The Lord would fully, rapidly bring his judgment on the many through the Assyrian military invasion. In, in the Romans context, Paul is saying that God has fully and rapidly carried out his word to have mercy on only a remnant of Israel. Back in earlier in chapter 9, Paul made the point that even though only those who God sovereignly have, have had mercy on will be saved, yet people are still responsible and accountable for responding to him. So, so Israel is responsible for her unbelief for which she is being judged, and God has chosen to save only a remnant according to his sovereign mercy. As Paul said in verse 6, not all who are of Israel are truly Israel. But even though God is now saving only a remnant of Israel, yet God's faithfulness has not left them. He will accomplish his merciful saving promise and purpose for Israel by saving a remnant for now. And verse 29, as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Paul quoting from Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah was saying that in his day, six or seven hundred years before Paul wrote, if God had not graciously preserved offspring for Israel, his judgment by the Assyrians would have wiped them out, just as God had wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah. Israel's sins were great, and they had rejected God's calls to repentance and warnings for generations. 
They deserve Sodom and Gomorrah's judgment, but God, being rich in mercy, preserved a remnant. He preserved a remnant for them then, and he was preserving a remnant for them in Paul's day. Um, Israel was facing another time of God's judgment, this time for the rejection of their Messiah. Once again, they deserve to be eliminated. But God, in his grace and mercy, preserved for them a true offspring. Remember, if God saves anyone, if he saves me, if he saves you, if he saves anyone, it's by his sovereign mercy. That God is preserving a remnant for Israel is a great mercy. That he has been saving and is saving so many Gentiles from among the nations is a massive mercy. But God's plan of redemption will come to its climax, as we'll see in Romans chapter 11, when all the Gentiles God will call have been saved. So Romans chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, I think you get that up on the screen. Um, this is, spoiler alert, plot spoiler. Paul says, I did not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. We don't have to wonder what God's plan for this present world is. We don't have all the details, but he's revealed to us the big picture. God is calling in Gentiles, people from all nations, from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every language group, to himself. So let's trust and hope and pray and live and give and go and send so as to be used of God, to be instruments of his calling, the fullness of the nations to come in and praying for all Israel to be saved because God's going to do it. He's going to bring in all the Gentiles that he's calling and then all Israel will be saved. That's, just, that's what he's doing in the world. So praise God for his great mercy in calling us as his people. He wants to call others through you. Let's pray. Father, we're amazed at your mercy. We get that we often don't get how desperately we needed your mercy to be saved. We think that we're pretty good people. And your mercy, well, of course, God would have mercy on us. Father, may we deeply realize we're, we owe you a great gratitude for rescuing us from your judgment and mercifully calling us to be your people who are not a people. Father, we pray for the fullness of the nations to come in. We, we thank you, Father, for the progress of the gospel in Camus, through Young Life, through summer camps, through the ministry in the community, the ministry that we're, ministries that we're connected with around the, the world. We thank you, Father, that now Muslims are responding to Christ as they never have before. We pray, Father, that you would cause many more of them to respond to Jesus from Morocco, Algeria, Senegal, Mauritania, Sudan, Eritrea, Ethiopia, Egypt, Palestine, Syria, Jordan, Oman, United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Kuwait, Iraq, Iran, Pakistan, Muslims in India, Indonesia, Afghanistan, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Moldova, Azerbaijan, Turkmenistan. Bring them in, Father. 
through the power of the gospel of Christ. Raise up workers to be among them. Thank you, Father, for the wave of mercy. And toward that end, Father, we pray for the salvation of, of all of, of Israel. We pray, Father, that many, many of them would turn to Jesus. As your plan is unfolding for the nations and for your people, Israel. Pray, Father, for our neighbors and, and those who we have contact with, those in our families, that many more of them would turn to Jesus as well. Thank you so much for your mercy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.